Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is November the 29th, and our passage for today is the book of Hebrews, chapter 8. Well, in order to get us to chapter 8 and to deal with the tabernacle and begin to get into chapter 8 and chapter 9 tomorrow, I wanted to make sure that we at least hit the high points of what has been covered since we left chapter 4. As you know, the book of Hebrews is over and over again showing the superiority of the work of Jesus in relationship to the covenants, in relationship to the priesthood, in relationship to everything that had to do with what we call the Old Testament and how the new covenant, the new priesthood of Jesus, comparing it with the Aaronic priesthood and the tabernacle the tabernacle on earth, and the tabernacle in heaven. For instance, when you come to chapter 7, you have the distinction that is given between the Aaronic priesthood of the tribe of Levi versus the heavenly priesthood of Melchizedek. That's what we call it. It's Melchizedek. Melchi is the word that is used for king in Hebrew. And then Zedek, as we say Melchizedek or Melchizedek. But Melchizedek is a word for the king of righteousness. Zedek has to do with righteousness. When we talk about Melchizedek, the question often comes up, is this a theophany, a Christophany, a pre-birth of Jesus appearing of the Messiah or a God appearance in the Old Testament? I personally do not believe so. Even though the Bible says that he had neither beginning of days nor end of days and likened him unto the Lord Jesus and the heavenly priesthood, All of that is about a comparison. Remember, the book of Hebrews is showing the superiority of one thing over another thing and how that we are living in a greater age than the world has ever seen. And so Melchizedek is used as an example. Now, the reason it says that he had no beginning or ending of days is because he just simply appears on the scene. Now, if you'll recall, we dealt with this back in the book of Genesis earlier this year, January, when we were going through the book of Genesis. And I talked about this. Abram had been on a journey from Hebron and Mamre, and he had gone all the way north of Dan into what is modern-day Syria to retrieve Lot and all of the things that had been taken by the Federation of Kings led by Cater Leomer. 
And so he had made his way back down with all of the people, with all of the goods, back to Hebron and eventually put Lot back in his place. And he had rescued Lot. And as he was making his way down the patriarchal highway from Shechem to Shiloh to Bethel and then to Jerusalem, then it was called Salem. It was called the City of Peace or peace. It was there, you'll recall, that Abram met Melchizedek just in the valley below what we would call Mount Moriah. It wasn't called that at that particular time in that passage, although it was there, that mountain was there. But he met him in what we call the Kidron Valley or the Valley of Jehoshaphat. It was called the King's Dale at that time. And so he met Melchizedek, and Melchizedek just comes on the scene. So he had no beginning. There was no lineage given, and there was no death recorded. And so in that way, he was like a heavenly appearing. He was like Messiah. He was like the Savior. As a matter of fact, he is called the King of Righteousness. And because of that, he was the priest of the Most High God, El Elyon. And as you'll recall, Abraham paid tithes unto him. He gave him a tenth of all the spoil that he had gotten. Now, the reason this is important is because I want you to remember that Mount Moriah, Mount Moriah, was a sacred mountain, and Jerusalem was a sacred city even in the days before Abraham. Because when God called Abraham in Genesis 22 and said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and take him to the land of Moriah, Abraham knew exactly where that was. And that means it was a known place. And Moriah was a known spiritual place even before the days of Abraham and during the days of Abraham. And this is why, along with many other reasons, why the Jews from time immemorial have believed that the stone upon which the ark would have sat during the days of the temple of King Solomon was indeed the foundation stone. That's what it's referred to today in Judaism because that's the place where the Jews believe to this day, the Orthodox Jews, that Adam was created and then placed in the Garden of Eden east of there. All to say what the writer of the book of Hebrews is trying to do is to show that the priesthood of Melchizedek was like a heavenly priesthood that was before the Aaronic priesthood and represented a greater priesthood than even that of Aaron. And then he comes to chapter 8, and he talks about the tabernacle. And it's amazing when God gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai, that took one chapter, what we record in the book of Echodas, the Exodus, the way out, as chapter 20. But if you will recall, that was the 10 words that were given. That's the Decalogue. 
But when he wanted to give the instructions for the worship center, that would be the center and central to all of the wanderings and the travelings of the children of Israel for 40 years. Remember, it took chapters 25 through 40 or 15 chapters to explain the worship center. Now, God is interested in worship. And when he comes to chapter 8, he talks about this tent of meeting. Now, we call it the tabernacle. That's what we call it in America and in Western literature in Europe. The old Puritans and others refer to this as the tabernacle. But God's favorite term for it in the Bible is the tent of meeting. That's how it should be translated because that's where God met with man and man met with God. And when they broke down the tabernacle, They did that, the first thing they did, and then they carried it in a very logistical and orderly fashion. You had the tribe of Levi that was assigned to do it in a certain way, and the tribes walked after that, and they were in order. When they got to the place where God's cloud by day or pillar of fire by night would stop, That is where they set up the tabernacle, and that was the first thing they did. And the tribes were then placed in order, in a specific order, around where the tabernacle, the tent where God would meet with people, it would be the central place where everything would happen in the entire nation of Israel. Because what was important and what was central was the worship of Almighty God. By the way, it still is today in our lives. The number one thing that God wants us to do is to love Him, worship Him with everything that's within us, and to have no other gods before us, not ourselves, not our family, not our spouse, not our children, not our even worship itself is not an end in itself. Worship is about who God is and what he's done and the magnificence of his creation and his redemption, his salvation, his manifestation, his revelation of who he is to us. And that's what chapter 8 is about. As a matter of fact, as you start reading through that, you're going to see that everything that was built in that tabernacle was after the pattern of the tabernacle that was in heaven. That is in heaven, the temple that's in heaven, the worship center that's in heaven. Not only was the tabernacle a tupas, that's the word for type, it's translated pattern in chapter 8 here, but the pattern, the schematic, the blueprint, if you will, was the same kind of pattern that was in heaven. In other words, there was an outer court, there was a holy place, and then a naas, a naon, a holy of holies, that God's presence manifested himself in the shekinah, in what we call the shekinah or the shekinah, the manifest presence, the glory, the shining, the dazzling, lightning presence of God. 
and that showed up in the tabernacle, you'll remember, and everybody had to leave. Moses alone could go into that tabernacle and meet God face to face. And then the same thing happened when Solomon dedicated the temple. The glory of God so filled the place that they had to run out of it because God was so manifest in that place. But the temple was to be built just like the tabernacle. David told Solomon before he died, don't you dare deviate from the pattern that I have given you because God said, this is how I want that temple built. Solomon didn't just come up with that. David didn't just come up with that. God said, I want it done this way on purpose because there is purpose. I want you to understand that there is a certain way that you approach me. And if you try to approach me any other way than the way that I've said, then you're going to be struck dead. In other words, you're not going to make it. Now, this sounds a lot like Jesus over and over again in the New Testament. For instance, in John chapter 10, he said, I am the door of the sheepfold. Anyone that tries to come in another way is a thief and a robber, and they're not going to make it. You see, the reality is all of the things that the writer of the book of Hebrews says, and we're going to get into the specifics of the tabernacle in chapter 9, it's amazing. God detailed everything down to the last detail so that we would understand that there is a way that a man comes to God. He doesn't come any way he wants to. He doesn't come any time he wants to. So many people think, well, when I get ready to get right with God, I'll get right with God. Well, you may not, because the Bible says no man can come unto me unless I draw him. Jesus said, all that the Father has given unto me will come unto me. And you cannot be saved anytime you want to. Well, the fact is, let me rephrase that, you can be saved anytime you want to, but there is no guarantee that you will want to. You see, unless the Spirit of God draws you, you don't care two hoots about God. And all of us are running the other way from God. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone unto his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah chapter 53. And so as you read through chapter 8, just look at the content and see that God had a pattern that he went by and that pattern began in heaven as everything does. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.